everyone, and welcome to Life Beat. I am your host, Tom Powell, and today with me I have Pastor Bradley, Pastor Tom Bradley. He is the pastor at Crosswinds Community Church. Pastor, thank you for being here with us today. Great to be with you today, Tom. All right, now, I, Pastor, you don't know this because you weren't there, but in the last time, the last time I recorded a podcast for our Life Beat program, I went over because I talk too much. Today, I'm going to try to make you do most of the talking. Is that okay? <laughs> sure, that's fine. Good deal. All right, I want to jump right into our first question, but before we do that, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Tell us uh, about the church here, and tell us about what you do. Yep, I'm uh, an urban pastor in Grand Rapids um, on the urban west side. We have I'm a part of Crosswinds Church. We have three urban congregations. Um, one on Division, one on Godfrey Lee, and I'm in the urban upper west side of Grand Rapids, and we're a part of a urban church planting movement in the 616 area code that is helping multiply churches in the 616 area code with an emphasis in our urban areas and their needs. And how long have you personally been involved? Maybe you already said this, but how long have you been personally involved with uh, this group that's trying to plant churches in this area? Well, we've been connected for probably over 25 years, and uh, I actually got on staff. I was in staff at another church, and uh, we got on staff to help them plant an urban church in the west side about five years ago, and so we're still in the process of urban church planting uh, on the west side. Uh, urban church planting in the uh, during the years of COVID is uh, has its own challenge. Everything has its challenges in COVID, but church planting has its own challenges too. So uh, sometimes urban churches, well, urban churches are characteristically hard. Uh, in the last couple of years, everything has been even more complicated. So here we are still working at developing our core team and just doing love in our neighborhood. Now, when you say it's been uh, the last couple of years, it's been more challenging. You're referring to issues relating to COVID or, or well, urban things. church planting in particular in our Crosswinds ministry and founding and helping start a urban West Side church congregation. Um, you know, trying to we've all had a challenge doing ministry in the last uh, few years with COVID. Uh, starting a ministry or starting anything in the last couple of years would be extremely challenging. And so that's what we're doing. But we're still at it. Great. All right, now I have some questions lined up for you here. The first, the first one I wanted to ask you about um, and get your perspective as a pastor was, what are some ways that you're aware of that pastors can or should be involved in pro-life issues? Well, I think that um, you have to, first of all, make a lot of connections to the unchurched community. That's our mission um, as, as Christians is not just to be isolated and mm -hmm. to be focused inside inwardly, yeah. but to be connecting with a lot of people who have no relationship with God. And so it begins with just loving your neighbor and connecting with your neighbor. The way we do it at Crosswinds is we just serve our urban neighborhood on the west side. Well, all of our congregations do in their individual context, but on the west side, we're involved in our schools. I teach an after school, middle school program. Uh, I'm connected to a program that does tutoring and mentoring uh, for five days a week uh, and then on Tuesdays I do a a Bible lab program uh, for middle school hostile middle school students um, pagan middle school students uh, middle school students who don't know much about haven't heard much about Jesus and I just kind of teach a lab that's connected that that explains the Bible to kids who have no frame of reference for what the Bible is, what it, what the ideas are, how they connect with God, and what the uh, framework is for a Judeo-Christian ethic. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's actually pretty interesting. So how did you get involved in this uh, this ministry, reaching out to kids? And what, what is kind of this group you said? 
something along the lines of it's uh, is it troubled kids or what what is it well no we just uh i'm a part our, our ministry on the west side crosswinds west side is connected to a ministry in the urban west side neighborhood that's been really serving hard and doing uh, good work in the neighborhood for a number of years called bridge street ministries um and Bridge Street Ministries just is, has a little coffee shop and uh, does after-school programming for neighborhood kids. And they're seeking to help disciple and help encourage neighborhood kids. And I do a lot of the spiritual development with that program. Uh, and at my, my, they do labs five days a week. It's just for the neighborhood middle school. Um, we're one of the official middle school after-school programs. Um, and... Uh, we pick right kids right up from the middle school and bring them down. We do robotics labs and exercise labs and different kinds of labs that they sign up for. And every Tuesday, I do Bible lab. And I teach middle school kids for an hour and a half. Um, and uh, we just interact on subjects related to uh, the story of the Bible. And starting in September, I really walk them through the, the, the story of the narrative of the, the Bible, which is... God created everything. Uh, after he created everything good with a purpose, uh, then, then people uh, rebelled against God. Mm. We f- refer to that as fall. And, and in spite of that, God made a promise to bring redemption and reconciliation. Um, then the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is Jesus. Mm. We get to that about Christmas. And then uh, Jesus, in our relationship with Jesus, we bring restoration and the opportunity to be a kingdom-centered person in a broken world. Mm. Um, that's the second promise. And then ultimately, everything is concluded in the future with what the Bible calls the new creation. So we teach kids from September to May the narrative of the Bible, which is creation, fall, promise, Jesus, his promise to bring re- renewal, and new creation. And that's the narrative we teach uh, middle school students. And they, they have a slow awakening process as we walk them through that. And that's just one of the ways in which we engage our, some, of, some of our unchurched people. We also serve with other neighborhood schools, um, neighborhood social service agencies. I just serve in my, my neighborhood street. And I also uh, am involved with the city as a chaplain, uh, just serving as a chaplain to help uh, families in crisis. Um, we teach uh, uh, like healing from uh, traumatic events, t- classes on that. Um, we just do all kinds of ways in which we engage the ch- community that does not know Jesus and seek, seek to explain uh, the narrative of the gospel to them. It's interesting. I think in your answer here, you have, I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally, answered an accusation the pro-life movement os- often faces from the opposing side. People will often say, oh, you care about the unborn baby, but you don't care about them after you're born. But your whole answer that you've given me at the moment is, is taking care of people who are, have already been born. And I think that that's true for a lot of churches. A lot of churches do care mm-hmm. about people, whether it's, it's a true. child or yeah. whether it's a, a young man, an old man, a young woman, an old woman. It's all the same uh, in the eyes of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and all the same in the yeah. eyes of his church and his churches. So, um, I want to kind of get a concise answer from you if I can. If some pastor were to come to you and he said, I've never, I I am pro-life, but I've never found a way to act upon that belief. What would you recommend him do? Do this, do this one thing or do these two simple things. What would be the the quick advice? Well, I think the issue of life is the issue of being created in the image of God, which is the foundation for all of our identity Mm -hmm. so it it should be 
influencing every aspect of your interaction with people. The fact that you're, you were created by God as a person with dignity, value, and worth, um, and that your dignity, value, and worth is not, does not come from your function. It doesn't come from your, uh, how you act or what you do or whether you're loved by people or whether mm. you're accepted or uh, what your, uh, some of your ideologies are. Yeah. Your, your value comes from the fact that you're created in the image of God. Um, as a person with dignity, value, and worth. And, and so uh, that, that image goes all the way from the very beginning of, of being conceived in the mother's womb to the moment we die. And so whether we're caring for uh, a, somebody in prenatal, yeah. you know, or whether we're caring some, for somebody in hospice, uh, every aspect of your interaction with people should be reflecting the fact that they're a, a unique creation by God in his image. Right, and you're talking about, like, I guess is an interesting concept, the difference between intrinsic value and then usefulness. Like a hammer is useful, right? but maybe a necklace or something like that isn't necessarily useful, right. but it has value intrinsically. It, it itself is valuable. And what you're saying is that all human life is valuable and that we should treat all life that way. So it sounds like uh, you don't necessarily have a quick answer. Here's the quick fix on how you can now act on your pro-life values. But rather you're saying it should overflow into a lot of areas of your life. It you should, should be holistic. Your whole life, your, your, your pro-life values come from the fact that you're, God created life. Mm. You're cre and God's, God is glorious. And, um, and God created us in his image. And, uh, and so we are... Uh, you know, the weight of glory rests on each person. Every person uh, reflects the image of God. And, uh, and so like when I interact with my middle school kids, uh, you know, we start with creation. God, God, God created you. God loves you. Um, you're not an accident. You're not protoplasm waiting to become manure. You're not spinning out of control in a universe that is uh, blindly and randomly uh, functioning like a chaotic machine that just exploded. You were actually personally, intentionally created and loved by God, and, uh, and God loves you and wants you to experience his purpose for your life and his glory. Yeah, and you know, for some of the people that you communicate that too and maybe the first time in their life somebody has told them that they have that what we were talking about intrinsic value you're valuable even if you haven't accomplished something even if you feel small even if you feel like you're not uh, one of the cool kids or you're not one of the successful people you are valuable in the eyes of God because of what you are and yeah. because of the purpose he made you for. I got I to gotta move on to our next question, if that's mm -hmm. okay. I yeah. wanted to bring up that most churches are pro-life, and that's, that's been my experience, but some are not. Uh, in this past week, I've heard of one church that was act actually circulating a pro-abortion petition, and then I heard of another church down in Texas that will, it was helping to transport women out of Texas so that they could get abortions. So clearly there are churches which are not pro-life. They would consider themselves pro-choice. Uh, from your perspective and from your understanding of Scripture, is that position, the pro-choice position, uh, justifiable with Scripture? No. No? Can no. All right. So what, what, uh, what, if somebody disagrees with you, what, what can you bring up? What evidence can you give them? What, what argument can you make? Well, from the very beginning, you know, we, we are created 
go back to my first statement of being yes. created in the image of God, and that creation begins um, when uh, egg meets sperm, and uh, that creation begins in the womb of a mother. Um, that's when life begins, and um, you know, like with you, you would ask a person who is they would prefer a person who's pro-abortion um, and thinks that a life can be terminated. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of conflicts with that. You know, like when does life begin then? You know, at one point, can you not terminate a life? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like when the life is, when, when, when the baby is partially out of the mother's womb, when the baby is, is four weeks old, is that when it becomes a human? Um, when, when the baby is, you know, uh, when the baby, some have even said that the baby could be, uh, uh, the life of the baby could be ended after it exits the mother's womb within a short period of time. I mean, that, that's the radical extremes that, that come because there's no identification of when life actually begins. And they can't really identify that because if they do, it shows the fallacy of the argument that, 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 uh, that you know, that, that you, this is just a fingernail that can be lopped off. Uh, abortion is no more different than, than having, a, you know, a, you're clipping your fingernails. It's just removing a piece of tissue that really has no, has no meaning. Um, I, I give the tissue meaning. Um, no, this is a life created in the image of God that has dignity, value, and worth. Um, no, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, I think if somebody is going to com have... Um, do an abortion I think that'd be fine if they had received a signed consent from the the baby that uh, that is going to be aborted um, Reagan Ronald Reagan said um, I've noticed that everybody who is for abortion has already been born yeah. so I don't understand how even constitutionally the opportunity that we say people should have the opportunity for life liberty and pursuit of happiness when we deny an in, a baby in the womb of a mother the opportunity for life um, we have deprived that that baby of the uh, um, the chance to live um, so, so let me play devil's advocate for a moment uh, and so audience do not get mad at me I am just representing the other side, not, not my own views. I could say to you, let's say I'm the, the pastor of some other local church here in this area. From that pastor's perspective, I could say to you that I am showing love to these women by respecting their choice. Now, I would like there to be less abortion, sure. But I would like a lot of things that I can't make happen. So instead, I should just show love to these women and respect their autonomy. What would you say to that? Well, the most harmful thing you can do, I think, to a person is help them, enable them in the act of something evil. Um, what they're doing is something that is participating in an act that is actually self-alienating. Um, you're, you're, you're enabling them to, to participate in the destruction of life. And, and in fact, in the long term, uh, they will... Uh, you know, have the experience, the horror of somehow being involved in the ending of a life instead of the birthing of a life. And so um, uh, it, even from the male standpoint, um, I have a friend I recently had an interaction with who, uh, who became a Christian as an adult later on as an, in his adult life and said that at one point he uh, encouraged his girlfriend to have an abortion and she did. And he, uh, he regretted his involvement on that and and said that for ever since that time i have felt a, a, a sense of guilt a tremendous sense of guilt and shame that i i wouldn't even uh care and love my own unborn child enough uh beyond my uh, you know my own selfishness and my my uh, whatever i felt was right at the time and so he's lived with a 
a life of regret. Mm-hmm. And, and so enabling uh, somebody, a woman, to, to be involved in the destruction of life in her own womb is something so, so gravely alienating that, that uh, the horror of it is, is greatly minimized in the pro-abortion um, uh, movement. Um, and, and yet it's such a um, clearly known thing. It's, it's a very common thing. And I, I mean to not cause anybody any grief by saying something like this or cause anybody any pain. Um, but it's just reality as we're all broken that there's a, a number of women that, that remember the year in which they had an abortion and forever look at children, uh, see a 10-year-old child and say, that's that could be my yeah. child right now. So to say to help save somebody that type of grief for a moment of um, of of getting out of a, a problem that they only foresee as the way out as having an abortion, is enabling in something that is creating a greater problem than whatever they're seeking to solve. So I think a church that enables that is is not really following the scriptures. Um, when when John the Baptist met Jesus, he leapt in his mother's womb. Mm. Um, the awareness of the Holy Spirit in John, um, even in his prenatal ex- experience, was uh, was showing that he is a person created in the image of God. And um, so I think we just need to love others and seek to help others. Um, I don't know what the word church means anymore, honestly. And uh, and but but there are there are people who really seek to genuinely follow the Bible. Yeah. And uh, that will be a deeper discussion for later, but a lot of people say they're a church, but that means a lot of things that aren't necessarily Christian. Yeah. Uh, Not the it, way it, I think of it. I, 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 I totally understand uh, your response. I, what you're saying, in effect, is it's not loving to enable someone or even encourage someone to harm themselves. Right. And that's what women who have abortion are doing. Yeah. They're harming themselves and they're harming the child. That, that's also wrong. It's also wrong to harm the child. But we can't overlook the fact that they're setting themselves up to make a mistake they cannot reverse. Right. And they can find forgiveness. Right. They can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but yeah. they can't reverse the decision. Right. And so instead, uh, the more loving thing to do would be to not allow them to harm themselves right. or their child. So we, totally, do that, we do that as pastors all the time. We try to help people through substance abuse and addictions and all kinds of problems, you know, that, that are self-alienating mm. and self-destructive. And no more would I enable a, a person who really wants some type of substance that would be self-addicting you know, or destructive to enable them to do that just because they want to. Um, the, the fact, because we are living in a fallen, broken world, we all have broken desires. And uh, sometimes our desires lead us astray if we lose uh, a sense of biblical values. Yeah. So real quickly, I want to switch gears, and I want, I've been wanting to ask you, how do you think we can reduce the number of abortions that take place? So by this I mean, what steps can we take to make abortion unthinkable, as opposed to, or in addition to, simply making it illegal? We don't just want to get rid of it. It would be great to see a change of heart and see a change of the way people in our culture think of, uh, think of the unborn. Yeah. Well, making something illegal doesn't seem to necessarily reduce the the, the, the behavior. Um, we've seen that with a lot of aspects of culture. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I genuinely think we should, mm-hmm. but we've made lots of things illegal and it really never changed the, uh, the behaviors. Uh, ultimately everything comes down to a hearts and minds campaign where people need to personally be convinced that, that life is valuable. 
Um, and that really, that, that life in the womb is the greatest gift that you could ever begin to experience. And the, the privilege you have of participating in that and being a part of that process is one of the most glorious God-given experiences that we can ever participate in. And, uh, and having children, I have two, two sons um, and four grandchildren. Um, I'm very blessed. And the, opportunity, the opportunities to participate in my, my, my family's life um, is the greatest thing that's ever happened, you know, uh, the way, greatest ways in which I've been blessed. So to, uh, to, we, people have to understand the importance of that. And, uh, and so it's a hearts and minds. That's why we, we, we talk about creation. Um, and people need to understand that they're created in the image of God. And, uh, and, and that's where it begins. Yeah, there seems to be a recurring theme in all of your answers. It goes back to this image of God and the intrinsic value that is associated with that. Right. You keep going, circling, kind of circling back to that, but it makes sense. It makes sense. How do we, uh, how do pastors help? Help by showing people what that they have value, that all people have value. I and, keep coming back to that because I, I, I spend a lot of time with people who are unchurched and don't have any frame of reference for biblical values whatsoever. Post, we're, we're in a post-Christian culture. And so really a lot of people just have the, the understanding that um, this is all what happens around us is some random occurrence of yeah. uh, co this collision of atoms that nobody has any reason or explanation about how it happened. Um, there was not a purposeful God who loves them and cares for them and has given them a mission and a purpose for life. And if you can, if you can broach that barrier and get across that, then that's the beginning of a journey that will take you down a life, a whole, a whole orientation of life um, not, that begins in the womb and then goes all the way to beyond the womb, to, to beyond death. Mm. All right, so here's, here's my last question, and then we'll wrap it up. And you've already touched on this a little bit. I was going to ask you, if you have met or ever were to meet someone who has already had an abortion, how would you counsel and comfort them with God's word? And then, and then you brought up, you said, oh, I have this friend. So yeah. you have at least one example in your life, someone you know who has been through this experience. Can you kind of give us some advice on how to counsel and comfort people in that situation? Well, I think that, um, first of all, you know, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And, and I, as I deal with people, um, you know, sometimes people are still vac vacillating as to whether, you know, life is valuable and whether abortion was an alternate, alternate uh, opportunity for them. Um, a viable opportunity and, and to first of all you know be uh, explained that life is valuable and people are created in, in the image of God and that that is the taking of a life a human life uh, is a broke is a very difficult place to to begin to broach uh, but it's it's absolutely true and uh, as painful as that experience would be to come to the acknowledgement of that if you've had an abortion um, that's the beginning of healing mm -hmm. because you you first have to admit that the, you know where, where you've started yeah. and what the, what the origin of the problem is so um, that is that is the beginning of, of admitting there's a problem and then also understanding that there's no matter where we've been in life there's always an opportunity for grace that Jesus Jesus is the only person the only per perfect person who's ever lived um, and uh, Jesus lived the life none of us are capable of living. He lived a perfect life. And in spite of uh, the fact that he lived a perfect life, he died the death we deserve to die because of our brokenness and because of our rebellion against God. And in so doing, he defeated Satan's sin and death for us. And so we have the opportunity, each of us, to uh, experience grace in its full and complete form uh, through Jesus' uh, atonement for us, his death in our behalf. 
and, and giving people the opportunity to experience that grace is uh, the greatest opportunity we have to share. You brought up a barrier that people who have had an abortion will face that maybe sometimes people on our side don't consider because we haven't been in their shoes. They're, the barrier that you brought up was that basically these people have done something that perhaps at the time they convinced themselves was right. They must later confront the issue. And I think it can be very difficult for somebody to, for somebody to acknowledge, oh, I did in fact kill a person. And beyond that, I killed an innocent person. And beyond that, I killed my own child. Up until they admit that, they can't begin to experience the healing uh, that, that, that they would want. Right. But uh, do you have any advice for us on how to get people over that barrier? Somebody standing on the other side, we see somebody maybe who's angry, perhaps even violently angry, shouting, uh, and so forth. But that's a defensive heart. They don't want to admit to themselves, let alone to you, what they've done. Right. So how do we help somebody get over, get over that barrier? That's a great question. I think coming to grips with that is almost inconceivable on a personal level. Um, realizing that you have a wound that's so deep, psychologically, spiritually, um, that you've you've taken a life, and then coming to the realization of that, um, short of a spiritual awakening, I don't know how you can begin to come to grips with that. I think that there's no question that there's a lot of uh, deflection that's that's observed in anger mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, retaliation and uh, and just shouting and um, a lot of bitterness against anybody who would say that there's life in the womb um, because there's just if you come to the realization that that you have actually taken a life um, that is just such a deep psychological and spiritual problem that it's it's hardly uh, it's it's just extremely difficult for anybody to come to grips sure, with. Sure, it would it would be much easier to continue in the belief that the baby is not a person, yeah. or that the conversation about the baby being a person doesn't need to be discussed. Yeah. It would be easier to stay in that position than to acknowledge I have done this thing. Right. Um, so it would take it would take. It sounds like you're saying it's 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 uh, not likely, at least from man's perspective. I'm reminded of Jesus talking about a rich man entering into the kingdom of God, yeah. the eye of a needle thing, but then he says, but with God, all things are possible. Right. So it's very possible with the God factor in the equation right. for people to overcome this. And I don't mean that um, as, as I'm any better. I mean, all of us have an amazing capacity for denial uh, in our brokenness. Whatever our dark issues are and whatever our personal problems are, we all have an amazing capacity for denial and then coming to grips with the truth um, of our personal lives. And it takes a spiritual, supernatural um, influence to help us to constantly come to grips with that. And uh, that's just the spiritual journey. We spend our whole life trying to do that. And for somebody, you know, we, we all have our dark areas. And so all of us are in the process of, of experiencing grace and the reconciliation that comes with healing and the opportunity for hope and renewal. Uh, no matter where we've been, um, you know, um, Paul, the person who wrote most of the New Testament, um, was a murderer by yeah. his own admission. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he had to come, you know, the, one of the greatest people we would consider as a saint and a, a, the greatest, uh, the largest writer of the New Testament um, himself was, was a person who had committed and encouraged murder um, of one of the greatest Christians, in fact, of all time, Stephen. So 
um, I think we all uh, are guilty and broken and, and deserve or under judgment of death. And the awareness of that always takes us to the cross and the acknowledgement that Jesus has accomplished something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He completely uh, paid the price for our sins and offers us the free gift of his righteousness, yeah. which is an amazing gift that we should never uh, stop becoming, uh, stop glorifying God about. Well, and thank God for that biblical and historical example that we have in the life of Paul, somebody yep. who committed murder, somebody who committed murder of innocent people, right. and yet he, began, he, become, he became a child of God, right. and he became one of, uh, one of the greatest servants and friends to God. Right. I think we'll close with that. I think we can end on that positive note. Uh, can, you, can you tell us again the name of your church, how people can find you if they wanted to uh, attend your services and so on? Sure. Uh, we are Crosswinds Church, and uh, you can find us on the internet at uh, windschurch.net, W-I-N-D-S-C-H-U-R-C-H.net. That's Crosswinds Church in Grand Rapids. And uh, we have three urban congregations, uh, and we're just here to serve and love our city in Jesus' name and to help plant more urban churches um, we, we deal with this issue all the time because in our urban neighborhoods, uh, we are a largely unchurched post-Christian culture, and we are just here to bring uh, the J Jesus to the nations. Amen. All right, well, big thank you to our audience for sticking with us all the way through this. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for being with me today. Great to be with you.